Hello, everybody. This is CB Live. And I don't know if you had a chance to see part one of my interview with Justine, but oh my God, I'm just like, I'm so excited to talk to her. This is part two. I, I want to advise you to go back and look at part one if you missed it, because such wisdom, such pearls of wisdom. I mean, this woman is bringing me to tears and just allowing me to reflect back on my own childhood and how I grew up and how my sense of value developed. I, I don't think I took the time in my life to sit back and think about it, but she's forcing me to. And I have to say, I was very lucky. So without further ado, I want to introduce Justine again. Hi, Justine. Thank you for coming Hello. back. Hello. <laughs> I'm very happy. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Justine, we were talking about when your father passed away um, and you had to go back into the country uh, where you grew up um, and you had no inheritance and you basically had to start over again as a family. Um, and your dad had been president and then through a coup and political situations ended up in prison. And even though they invited him back to come, he decided that he had done what he was supposed to do for the people of Congo. So now your dad passes away and now your family is faced with returning. Tell us more. Yeah. Um, yeah, even uh, more than 50 years later, it's still very difficult to talk about this period because uh, Congo is still a country where everything is going wrong, uh, instability is still around, the insecurity, etc. And uh, I mean, injustice is uh, spreading everywhere. So, uh, it's very, very difficult because uh, Congo is a very special case in Africa. You see, being a Democrat and being elected as the first president of a country, it always brings some difficulties afterwards because you see, nobody expected Mobutu to make uh, the coup, but uh, he did it. And he got also support from the West and uh, everywhere in the world. So uh, it was just a painful period and uh, very challenging also. Um, but I mean, the most difficult for us was uh, the choice. You see, Mobutu's regime brought us to two choices, either for, for, for girls and for boys. For boys, it was just decided right away and uh, make it impossible for them to continue studies or disturb them uh, to, for the studies so that they don't get revenge over, you know, the father. And the girls, it was just simple. Oh, no, 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 they would become, you know, mistress and, uh, you know, second wife or, you know, we just had a prostitution invitation, <laughs> if I can say so, for the girls. So uh, I decided to refuse this choice. That's why I went uh, in exile. And uh, this was also a punishment for my husband, as I told you in the beginning of the show, that uh, he was uh, working in the administration. And by the day he got married with me, 
uh, we decided that we will not submit ourselves to this regime. So that's why we went in exile. And the exile brought me here today, and I became a writer, etc. So I got. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! No, no, you skipped too much. You skipped too much. <laughs> Okay, but we only have 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. No, so we have another hour. I have to rush. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we have another hour. <laughs> you have the time. Um, okay. So, wait a second. Now, you've got married mm -hmm. and you and your husband decided to go in exile. Where did you go? Well, first, we lived in Algeria. Uh, we had this opportunity. And after Algeria, we went to Belgium, where I am still uh, living today. Uh, but also we had sometimes opportunity to uh, make a little trip here and there, but m basically uh, Algeria was the first uh, place. And after that, we came uh, to Belgium. But okay, for my listeners, what does being in exile mean? Uh, uh, first of all, it's not uh, the same for, um, you know, for other Africans, I guess, because uh, being in exile as Congolese, this is one thing, but being in exile as the daughter of the first president of the Congo in the country where the colonial rule took place, I mean, this also is another aspect of the challenge, but that's how the circumstances uh, made it. So I'm here in Belgium. But what, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means that you have to recover, first of all, uh, from all these injustices, you see. You have to take uh, life uh, very uh, normal. Don't uh, see yourself like a privileged person because you don't get privilege at all. Uh, nobody will come and uh, give you things for granted, no. This you have to forget. So you have to be born again, if I may say so. Okay. Forget about your past, forget about your father, forget about what you had when you were a child, but just take the values that made you strong, that made you become an adult and you work with these values. That's how I, uh, you know, I raised my children because my children, I didn't raise them by the fact that they were a grandson or granddaughter of a first president. No, it wouldn't have been useful for them at all. Other, um, so I didn't want them to, you know, to be pretentious. I wanted them just to have a normal life, which was uh, the case right? being here in exile. But so, so, yeah. But being in exile, it means you left your country. I left it. All your wealth, everything. Yes. You everything. Packed a bag. Mm -hmm. And how did you get out of your country? Well, uh, I got out of my country because uh, just uh, in the very beginning, being a girl, uh, as I told you, uh, the system, the, the dictatorship system always thought that uh, uh, having lost everything, at the end, you will just go back to them and beg. You see, they were just expecting me to go back and beg them. But I didn't go back and beg them. I preferred, I mean, to uh, even to die for, of hunger, <laughs> if it could be so, instead of going and beg Mobutu. So that's also. But how did you escape from one country to another? No, I didn't escape. Uh, you see, also the, the, the most genuine aspect of the dictatorship is just to let you live your life, but uh, not showing that uh, you are in danger. 
you just think that you can manage, uh, you know, daily. But uh, I mean, it comes very, uh, you know, in a in a very uh, you one must be very imaginative to you know to understand that the danger is around. You know, they just let you move, and sometimes they seduce you. Sometimes also they can give you some uh, uh, promises. But uh, if you don't pay attention, those promises becomes a compromission at the end. You see, if you give too much, then it becomes a compromission. But if you don't give an inch, so you are just uh, escaping. So we were just uh, in the balance. Um, but you see, being married, this also was uh, a protection for me because you see, they won't come directly because I, there's a man <laughs> around me, you know, there's a man, you know, taking care of me. So they just come with cautious, but uh, anyway, it was. So, so with that, you're able just to take your suitcase and get on a plane and go someplace else. Yes, yes, I had, uh, sometimes you, you have your passport, but sometimes also you don't have a passport because, uh, you know, um, they keep uh, they keep you just hanging waiting 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 and uh, until uh, despair until you know desperation comes around so this was always the challenge uh, but uh, i refused uh, to go into prostitution i refused uh, to obey to mobutu and uh, i always said that i will never surrender as long as Mobutu remain in power, we never surrender because I thought that uh, he betrayed our father. Because you see, uh, when it comes uh, on Congo matters, sometimes people say, oh no, Congo doesn't belong to Congolese. Uh, no, uh, you have the Western, you have a United States behind, you have the European Union behind, no. But I think that we still have a percentage of independence that we can manage, that we can handle. And I think that on, in this part, if we still have 60% or 40% of independence capacity, I think that in this 40% of capacity, there is always possible to make things better, to, to work for a better future. But it wasn't the case. Dictatorship just collapsed everything. So uh, being in exile and uh, having to carry on all this wasn't a uh, very easy, but I had to be born again, to be able to live again, you see? Mm -hmm. So uh, it, takes, uh, it takes a couple of years to realize that because uh, maybe you trust people, but they don't come to you uh, because of having confidence in you. They come more in spy. So, they just uh, spy you because they gain money going back to the dictatorship and say, oh, this, look how things are going. Oh, now you have reached this position. So I think, I, I, you see, uh, I, I'm still in a very, very uh, bad position when I look to these years, when I look in the past, I feel that, uh, uh, it's more a matter of uh, hatred than betrayal of an uh, outside country. Because I never saw an American or a European just frankly say, no, hate your fellow compatriots. I didn't uh, oh, just destroy the schools. No, I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. But it comes from 
the capacity of a man of hating, of being uh, just uh, full of hatred. So this is my uh, disillusion uh, in, in, in Congo, you see? Because uh, my values is love for others, is just uh, being positive, is uh, looking for a better future, a better education for our youth and uh, good welfare for them. And uh, how can we develop the country? All these elements that make a country, you know, be emancipated. So nobody um, force you not to do it or not to think on that. But if you do, then it means that uh, you're not honest. Mm -hmm. You're not honest at all. So um, it was very difficult, yes, to recover from these periods. It was uh, very difficult also to get my own place, but I did it anyway, because you see Mobutu lasted 30 years. And during those years, I never worked with Mobutu. I just accepted my fate. Mm -hmm. I accepted it as well as my husband. But it wasn't easy because he was supported by the West. He was supported by uh, the U European Union. Um, but I had a few friends who understood the situation, but I mean, they couldn't do more than just showing me some love and uh, adopting me also, because I met also here people who knew my father during colonial rule and who didn't accept how things turned around after independence. Because you still always have people who are in the good track and who wished you the best in the past, but are very disappointed to see what has become of Congo. Mm -hmm. So when they meet you again, I mean, they, they would like to, uh, to to keep again something or to recover for something that is just uh, uh, in, maybe impossible, but they want to show you that it could have been better. So in this challenge, they, they get you, they, they take you and uh, they, they kiss you. They, I mean, they adopt you. So this is how it helped me to go forward, to move forward. And uh, being aware of this history uh, gave me some uh, inspiration. So I started to write. And uh, this also gave me another uh, challenge. And uh, it brought me to another level. And uh, it showed me that I was on the right track. Yes, I, I took good decision. But it wasn't easy because you see, when uh, you have opportunity to work, but you realize that this work is just a temptation. It's just a, a, an occasion to put you down because there is also the revenge of history, revenge of the past. You see, uh, it's not always easy uh, to be so clever. What do you think gave you the courage, one, to go into exile? Two, what gave you the courage to keep to your conviction not to cave in? And now what's giving you the courage to write uh, and express, um, and I'm taking it that your writing is about the experiences that you've had. I mean, that's incredible. 
what's given you the courage to do all those things? And I know that you think, oh, it's part of life. It's part of my strength. It's part, but can I just tell you, no. <laughs> As you can see for yourself, many succumb to prostitution, many succumb to uh, accepting the, the men, not, that's it for my education. You were the exception, maybe the exception among several, but you were the exception. So what gave you the courage to be that exception? And we can take each situation at a time. First, for escaping, to say to your husband, okay, we have to go. Now I'm going to give up everything and go. Yeah, it's maybe the feeling also to experience sometimes uh, periods of, um, maybe it's a tough word, but I could say maybe miracle. And uh, I also experienced the fact that, um, you know, the will of transmission. Why do I say transmission of uh, all those informations and all these experiences? I think that it's very important for the youth to know how things, uh, you know, happened. And if you don't share this experience, I mean, it's lost. And a people who doesn't have, uh, you know, the uh, knowledge of the past, I mean, it's a lost uh, people also. You know, so, you're bringing up something that's a hot button here in the United States. Um, now the schools for the young are deleting a great deal of history. There is a movement from the mothers to say, I don't want my children to know about this. So it's kind of like I have saying to your children, yourself, to the world, I don't want to pay attention to what happened before. I, I want to live in a panacea where I believe everything is just beautiful, rose-colored glasses. And your children grow up without this knowledge. The fear is, the concern is that history will repeat itself because we know it does. Mm -hmm. And then children will be lost. It, it's a whole generation of lost children. Not yes. understanding why or how it's happened or how they involved or what to do about it. I think it's very important to, to give the, the information and to explain how things happen because uh, you always have uh, through different generations, people who come up with the same reactions, the same characters, because you see, it's just the beginning of uh, you know the 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 the, the world. Uh, you had uh, Eva and Adam who came, and their children. They had also uh, you know these patterns of behavior. It's just repeating itself uh, throughout the generation. So. Uh, what happened under these circumstances and what were the answers given by those who lived those experiences? This is very important. And also I was helped in doing so because uh, you see, during all these uh, painful years, I happened to find myself in our uh, home, uh, native home. And uh, one day when I was just about to leave and come back again in Belgium, I was just uh, very, 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 you know, sad. And I said to myself, well, 
what would my parents like me to do now before I move again and go back abroad? And I just said, well, let's clean up the house and let's just, uh, you know, keep household in a very, you know, very neat, etc. So in doing that, I just found in a very, uh, you know, forgotten area of the house, it, you know, all sorts of dishes and things that were just expecting to be thrown outside. And, uh, you know, digging in that, I just found papers. And when I just, you know, put my eyes close to those papers, I just found that it was, you know, school papers of my, my father, you know, when he was just in primary school, it was all, you know, wrapped, but in the very wrong way that you wouldn't even pay attention to it. It was such ready to be, you know, to go away, to move away. And I said, well, what is this? So I, I went, you know, further and I just found a second piece and then a third piece. And I said, well, and this comes from 1935 wow. when we were under colonial rule, when my father was uh, at school, primary school, secondary school. I said, how did he keep this all these years? Now he's dead, maybe 30 years after his death. And I'm just finding this. So I have a mission because nobody saw those papers. It was just disgusting looking at all this mess. But I went there just like a dog, you know, digging in some dishes outside on the street. I just went there. I said, no, there is maybe maybe not a diamond here or cobalt here, but I can have my diamond in another way. So it was the papers that my father kept when he was at school. So I said, no, no. There is something to do with this. So it gave me those uh, two of my books written in the recent years came from this experience. So I said that if my father kept it, even if now it was neglected, but he kept it, otherwise I wouldn't found it. So it means that he had, you know, in his heart, he had the purpose maybe to show us, maybe to transmit, so I have the duty to transmit and to transcript so that it can become a, a, you know, a, a story can, that can be told to our children. So I think that uh, uh, transmitting history experiences is very important because it's better than a school. It's better than what a teacher can give you because it comes straight from your father. It comes straight from a, 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 you know, a lived experience and uh, you can take more um, information from that. And uh, also you, I mean, it's just give you a certain hate of uh, ambition. And then you find yourself just like a historian and archeologist when they just look, you, they dig in the, the sand in Egypt trying to find so some kind of mystery or some kind of pieces, special pieces, I felt exactly the same, that I was I discovered a special piece and nobody else did. I was the only one and the only child of the family who had this, uh, I mean, this uh, behavior of just, you know, not wasting anything, just taking care piece after piece. What can I do with this? What can I, is it really, do I have to get rid of this or not? Before I decide, I have to see, I have to check. So this curiosity brought me to what I am today.
Christine. Yes. I am a, an archaeologist sometimes. Uh, I, I found myself being a, an historian, sociologist, and uh, yeah. So now, uh, this is the very ironic because other Congolese now they say, oh, yes, Justine, no, no, it's just too much. How can she bear all this? No, some people are now jealous, <laughs> but I don't have their millions, but they are jealous because, you know, this sounds something very special they don't have, you see? Yes. So uh, it helps. This is what faith is capable of bringing in a lifetime. You see, uh, make things exceptional and uh, bring some interest to things that were just, you know, neglected and ju just put away. But now you gave it a, a new face, a new value, which, you know, gives, you know, a, a sense to your destiny. You see, so that's what, where. What's so amazing in that story is here your father said to the military that came to him and said, come back, mm -hmm. I'm done. 30 years later, he spoke to you mm -hmm. and said, I'm not done, I'm passing it to you. Mm -hmm. I'm passing it to you. Exactly, this, you, you to, just found the words. To continue, yes. to continue, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. He yeah. took a pause and exactly. he knew that is just, <clears throat> it's scary. scary. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, it gives me wow, tremendous strength. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. And very, uh, yeah, uh, he gave it to me. Yes, I'm very sure because, uh, yes. well, time is so short today, but uh, I hope I can meet you in some, you know, in some near future because uh, the story is very uh, exceptional. It's extraordinary what I've lived, what I've went through, because uh, spiritually speaking, also the experience was very fantastic. Yes. And uh, um, I know that, uh, yeah, on one way you can say my father is dead, but uh, on his part, he's not dead. No. Because I have seen so many signs many signs that really that tell me something yeah yes i would say that your father did not pass over he took a pause mm. Mm. Yeah. you know he took a breath mm. and yeah. he decided through you he was going to speak again i'm sure i'm sure and uh, i can even say it when I uh, recall uh, this uh, time, because you see in these papers, I also found the message that President Kennedy sent to my father, you see? And nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about it, you see? Because the two were, became president almost the same year, just a, a different of a few months. But um, hope was alive at that time mm -hmm. on both sides. Yes. And, uh, the, uh, the will of doing well and bringing more uh, peace in the world was, you know, their purpose. And I have the, you know, the, the testimony of that. And I think that um, my only regret is that uh, he didn't, you know, make a full mandate, President Kennedy, because uh, on Africa issue, I mean, 
his vision was the right one, was the right one. And my father would have been a good partner with him, which of course appears in the papers that I discovered. What do you mean by di he didn't make a full mandate? Because uh, he became president in uh, January 61 and uh, President Kennedy was assassinated in 63. He didn't make a full mandate. Uh, ah, yes. ah, ah, full uh, But my, fa my, father, my father became president in 1960 and he was deposed in 65 two years after assassination of Kennedy on which you know, connection were made to work together and to make the free world you know, rely on a Congo stable, a Congo in progress, in emancipation, et cetera. So this is also elements that are found on these you know, dishes and all this uh, stuff that I just discovered in my home. So it wasn't just his um, primary school papers, it was a lot more. Yeah, a lot more, exactly, a lot more, a few lot more, if I may say so. But uh, yeah, yeah, enough to teach me that. You know, Justine, this would make the most incredible movie. I'm so glad I'm interviewing you and getting this captured because I really think it would make a great movie. His speaking through you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I'm still, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure of that. Yeah, I'm really sure, yeah. So what was your book, the, the other books? What were the books called? What well, the, uh, the books, uh, first of all, he sent to my father his book on courage. This is our subject. This is our topic today, Courage in Politics. This was the book of Kennedy and also global strategy for peace. How can we handle with Africa to move forward? This was also the book that he sent to my father, but it was just about to be forgotten. And I just came on time to get it out and uh, to find what was in. And uh, I had another experience also, which was uh, a very old man who lived in our country in a remote area. And uh, he uh, was, um, uh, you know, approached by my father before his death, uh, telling him that, well, I'm taking you to the, he, to, he gave also some other papers to this uh, old man. Uh, keep it, keep, yeah, it. keep it safe because uh, sometime in the future, it will be useful. And this old man saying to my father, how can I be sure to be, to, to, to be alive in the future? You are giving me some precious papers. And uh, my father told him, no, God knows I'm coming to you because I'm sure that God, God is leading me. He will make it sure that you can live long enough to be able to, to see to which child you can give it among my nine children. And that's what happened. So that man lived 40 years after the death of my father. And this one year, exceptional year that I went back to Congo, I went back to this home in our country. He knew that I got there and he said, how can I reach Justine? 
So he made it possible. Can you see? You see an old man with, uh, you know, uh, like, a, you know, with very bad clothes, like a rags, you know, clothes coming along. No, no, no. He just came and knocked at the, you know, our garden. And I said, who is coming so late today? Oh, no, it's a very old man. You don't pay, have to pay attention to him. I did, uh, an old man, I don't have to pay attention. Maybe you, you think that I don't have to pay attention to him. So let him in. So he came. He crossed the garden. He came to me. I greeted him. So we sat in the veranda. And uh, he said, well, my daughter, you don't know me. But I know you by reputation because your father 40 years ago came to me and gave me these papers. And he said that God will show me uh, uh, among which, you know, who uh, you know, among the children he had should get these papers. And uh, our wisdom council in the village, we decided that it should be you. So I'm bringing you these papers. And uh, we must thank God because uh, after all this uh, turmoil that our country faced, we have been able to keep these papers. So now it's up to you. I'm coming to give it to you as I promised to your father 40 years ago. And that was it. And the man left. He didn't even ask me for money. He didn't even ask me for food. I just wanted, you know, as we do in our country, when you have an old man or an old woman who comes, even if it's a younger person, you can always give, you know, bananas, you can give peanuts, etc., you know, things like that, so that the person can go back with a guarantee that uh, the long way he's done to reach you will be compensated by something to eat when he reaches his or home place, you see. So uh, I got these papers. And um, for me, it was another experience that my father was still, you know, leading, was still handling the situation, was still, you know, looking after me and uh, wanting me also to do good, you see. So that's why I think that uh, Congo has a destiny of uh, being a part of a free world, of being part of uh, a better world. And uh, we have to work on these tracks and not other ways, you see. So um, this is the other thing that really gives me wait, faith. Wait, so wait a second. What happened to the man? Did you give him food? And what was, it, what was in the papers? I, I just made it uh, traditional. Uh, he went, he couldn't refuse because of course uh, he, he, he didn't come along. He was, uh, he had a younger fellow with him, you know, to help in case he can fail or you see. So I just gave, uh, in our home in Africa, there's always a bunch of uh, peanuts, a bunch of uh, potatoes, etc. You can always wrap something and give to a visitor so that uh, he can go back home if you don't have time to prepare a meal. So he can go back with something to be sure that when he reaches his place, he can have something to eat because there is always a woman around. There is always a cousin and an aunt who can just, you know, in few minutes, you know, prepare something for, for him. So it's a testimony of consideration that you show to an old man who, come, uh, who comes to you. So uh, uh, he died uh, three years later. Wow. But uh, the, he accomplished uh, his uh, mission, yes.
Wow. Now, what, yes. was, what was in the papers? Uh, in the papers, uh, it was uh, the vision that my father had for the, the Congo and uh, what he wanted Congo to be, and uh, also uh, his love for the country and uh, the uh, significance of the inspiration that God gave him. Because you see, it wasn't easy to just stand up under colonial rule and say to the Belgian, oh, now it's enough. We have to move uh, you know, to decolonization and have our independence. It was just a challenge, madam. Uh, it wasn't very easy, but he took it. It was just a burden. God gave him the inspiration and uh, he accepted it. In the first place, uh, he didn't succeed, but he accepted it to move backwards, one step backwards and wait another opportunity. And the opportunity was given to, to him two years or three years later, and then everyone was ready to move because the spirit, the mindset of people uh, was ready to accept that we should make it strong, uh, stronger we are together to move forward so that uh, we can you know, uh, move uh, colonial rule and uh, get our independence. But of course, circumstances here again, help their courage because uh, in the fifties, it was the decade of decolonization. Eh? We had Ghana experience who, in the first place, and this also helped uh, Congolese uh, to, you know, to be sure that they were on the right uh, position to, to, to ask for more uh, the democracy, for more justice and for more liberty. Yes. yes. So Christine, are you back in the Congo now? No, for the time being, I'm in Belgium, but uh, I can go to Congo anytime, of course. But you see, being a politician, uh, it's, uh, you, you, you just don't move like this. You just don't decide to go because you are, you are homesick. No, you have to go and analyze and has, you see all the guarantees of security well, of course, there is never a guarantee 100% that you can be in security. Even in Belgium, there is no 100% of security. But I mean, you can handle a little bit better the situation from here. But uh, I'm ready to go to my country anytime. And uh, yeah, nothing uh, is forbidden in doing so. Well, but let me ask you, you speak very honestly and frankly to me, which I really appreciate. But does that put you in danger of going back? Well, it's not a danger of going back. Uh, you see, the situation of Congo today um, demands a um, lot of uh, attention. And uh, also, um, you need to have also allies. Huh? You cannot go because just you have a party. You see, I ran for office in 2006. But this was the challenge of this period. But of course I didn't succeed because the context was not one that can bring you success. Uh, we were already under occupation. We, we had uh, this uh, confrontation with Rwanda, with Uganda, etc. And the, the country hasn't not yet recovered from this period. So we are still uh, facing the consequences of this occupation, of these injustices, of this uh, provocation, etc. So uh, being, uh, let's say, without pretension, being a little bit clever, knowing also history, of course I'm a target. Eh? 
it would be very naive not to consider myself and not being a target. I am a target anytime. Yeah? And uh, also uh, we are often wrong thinking that uh, it can only happen to others. No, one always have to bear in mind that it can happen to anybody, anytime, anywhere, you see? So keeping this in mind, it gives you a luggage that, uh, you know, uh, make you um, feel how you can handle, when can you decide to go, or when can you just stand and wait until you can, you know, leap as you said. <laughs> but <laughs> Christine, how do you live with that fear that you could be assassinated? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, uh, faith again comes here to my rescue, <laughs> if I may say, but it's not enough, of course. Um, well, you see here again, we need a page to open another page of history because I'm in Belgium for the time being. And uh, Belgium uh, is a very special country also because uh, having ruled a country like Congo, uh, you always have coalitions in Belgium. And sometimes in a coalition of three parties or four parties, you may have three parties uh, who are for the Congolese emancipation and one party may not be uh, in that position, but their constitution uh, calls them to respect, I mean, the balance of power between themselves. So if uh, those who are in a good position in this balance of power, if they don't want Congo to be stable, <laughs> it's very difficult for the others to say, oh, no, no. So there is a gentleman agreement plus the constitution uh, that makes uh, the coalition sometimes uh, in our, not in our favor. So it's always difficult to be um, an opponent in the politics of Congo when Belgium doesn't uh, work in the same direction. When you have, you know, a balance of positions, because you always have people who are um, uh, in nostalgic of the past, who wanted Congo to be again under colonial rule in some way or another, just like it happened in South Africa. You see, why was it so difficult to overcome the apartheid system? Only because you had some parties, some factions who thought that, uh, I mean, the values on which they grew up in South Africa was of apartheid. So they didn't want to give up, but others thought that it wasn't anymore the case. So. It takes time to make things, you know, come to a, a, a level of balance that can be acceptable by all. And um, it's the same for Congo. So, uh, but, but in I South don't Africa think... now, to my understanding, you have this uprise again. Exactly, because as I told you, you always have people, generation after generation, some people who comes who come again with the. Uh, you know, uh, some things of the past. Huh? They, they, they're just uh, nostalgic of the past because, you know, sometimes you can be in a financial position that gives you all of the sudden uh, the strength and you, you, you feel 
especially when it's a financial force. You, you, you think that you, you are in heaven. You, you, you think that, uh, I mean, nothing can happen to you that you can impose, but others cannot impose you. So this brings some audacity, as Obama said some time ago. He had audacity of hope. And here it, it gives us audacity of provocation. <laughs> but you see, <laughs> so, do you remember audacity of hope? But now we have it brings here audacity of provocation. And I mean, the motivation of audacity is also a kind of courage, you see. So this courage, if you take it in the same in the good direction, it can make miracle. But if you keep it on the wrong side, it can also be disastrous, you see. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Okay, so what do you choose? Are you convinced that you are right? Sometimes experience and days passing by can teach you. But yeah. until then, it's always a challenge anyway. Oof. Okay. So <laughs> I'm not even sure what to ask you next because uh, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. <laughs> so have you written books about your father yet? Yes, 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 I've done so. Uh, the, the recent one is Casavubu Biographie d'une Indépendance, which was uh, released uh, during COVID in 2020. But uh, now it's uh, again uh, up to date uh, because of course COVID stopped many activities, but now the, the book is just rising again. And uh, this is the most recent one and the most, uh, I think, genuine also because it, uh, you know, summarize uh, his life as a whole. And um, it also uh, paid tribute to the role my mother played um, on his side. So this is the recent one, but I began more than 30 years ago by another book, which was uh, uh, released as a Kasavubu uh, Conscience Nationale. Uh, and you see also the, the particularity of uh, my experience is that you see, under dictatorship, one couldn't write freely. Yes. So mm -hmm. I wrote a book with what I could get at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a puzzle. And after the fall of Mobutu, it was again possible to write more. Mm -hmm. So I did another book. So it's you know, and that's, that's not, after you found the papers too. Yes, I found all the papers and also those who uh, met my father mm -hmm. and were more likely to talk because they were just silent previously. But mm -hmm. after that, they were ready to talk. They gave me some uh, testimonies and uh, they showed me things also and it helped me to make other books. You see, the life of Kasavubu, that's how it is. It's always like a puzzle. Decade after decade, you add something. You add something. People, you know, still call me and say, Justine, why another book? I said, because I have another information. So if I don't do it, who can, can do it? Because all these people, they were also, um, you know, during dictatorship, you couldn't write. Even our historians, they failed. Because, yeah, so that was why I was asking you if you were safe to have this discussion. Yeah, we can have it. Yeah, this, this is not a problem. The problem is, where do I stand? What choice uh, do I make? And uh, how do I handle the situation? I can do 
anything I want, but <laughs> at my own risk anyway. So that's why I say uh, it's always a, a challenge to, to know at what moment you can go, at one moment who is your ally or your allies. And uh, I, I, I don't want to be pessimistic. No, it's not up to date at all. Mm -hmm. But I have to be realistic anyway, mm -hmm. to, to be sure that uh, things mustn't be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. It's always a fight. It's always uh, a victory to overcome over something, you see? So, um, but I'm ready for that. It's my destiny anyway. It's my destiny. And uh, <laughs> I hope that uh, we can make ourselves heard by those who are interested in Congo, because it seems that uh, also the Western countries have wronged a lot, but uh, they won't accept it openly. They won't come to you and say, oh, no, no, we were wrong. Uh, we weren't right. Uh, we, we shouldn't have done this. Uh, we, we should have done this other on the other side. No, they will never come and, you know, apologize openly. No, this they won't do. Uh, keep a low profile, they won't do it. But in their heart, they will know that, no, we were wrong. And now we should, you know, recover from these uh, bad attitudes. So it's up to us to help them to recover because I think it's always possible to get a man changed eh? or to get a man, uh, I mean, to, uh, you know, to, 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 to bring some more values in terms of uh, acceptance of others and in terms also of peace, of liberty. Eh? Uh, it's not, um, it's not a fate determined, predetermined. It's always a procedure that you have to gain day after day and uh, with your values and uh, with determination and also with, um, I mean, the will of doing well. But it yeah. will never be perfect, but the yeah. will must always be the, you know, uh, alive. And this, this is the uh, age, old pro age old problem of admitting you were wrong because at the time it seemed right. And then, so you support that because it seems like the right thing to do. And then if it turns out to be the worst thing you can do, what can you say other than to say, well, at the time it was the best thing. Now, it's not, you know? We, I see that so often in all of the struggles here in the United States where people supported people that turned out to be monsters. Mm -hmm. And you know, what can you do? Can you go back and grab the past? No, but what you can do is not erase history so that you know what to watch for coming next time, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. why I'm so opposed to uh, cutting history out of the, the lives of children because they won't know what to do next time exactly. Exactly. you know they're going to be innocent babies and mm -hmm. then they're going to make the mistake and then they're going to say but i didn't know but if mm -hmm. you had the history yes you know it's right there mm -hmm. you know you can it's assume history is a wealth somewhere absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. so 
So what is, first of all, through all of this, how did you get involved in, in politics to be ambassador yourself? I mean, were you not concerned the same things would happen or was it more important for you to, as we say, fight for the cause? Yeah, the fight for the cause, certainly. And uh, above all, uh, the, the, the fall of Mobutu's regime, this was my, uh, uh, vraiment my obsession because you see, uh, he betrayed my father. So I was just awaiting the day he would fail you know, and fall. So uh, it happened 32 years later, which is a long, long period. But anyway, uh, we took advantage of this uh, situation to give a chance to the change. Mm -hmm. So uh, I accepted the, um, <clears throat> the offer of Laurent Desiree Kabila, not this one, but Laurent Desiree Kabila, who just came after Mobutu's regime. If you can re remember some pictures and the coverage of the time showing Laurent Desiree Kabila negotiating with Mobutu for the handover of the power. But, uh, Laurent Desiree Kabila didn't come, uh, he wasn't ready, I mean, to, 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 to handle the situation. He came with his allies. The allies happened to be Rwanda and Uganda, and in some extent, Burundi, but mostly Rwanda and Uganda. So, um, well, he did what he could, but uh, it was not enough. So I accepted the challenge. But uh, bearing in mind of everyone that if I found out during the course that uh, we are doing wrong, I shall resign. And uh, more than a year later, this happened. I, I, I found that uh, Laurent Desiree Kabila was going too risky and he didn't really handle the situation and he was head of state, I wasn't. So I couldn't, uh, I mean, bear the same challenges as him as head of state. And I thought that I have done enough and I couldn't go further, so I resigned. But this is a courageous uh, act that I really, you know, uh, faced because uh, it wasn't easy, you know, to, to leave the boat <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, you always have advantages eh, when you are appointed, uh, when you become uh, fame because uh, you are a member of a cabinet, etc. But I thought that uh, what was at stake, it was not my honor, personal honor. It was the values that I'm defending for the good of my country. And I thought that we, are, we're, we were going wrong, you know, according to these values, so I resigned. And ever since uh, I returned to the opposition, I came back to Belgium, but I took part to uh, the election. I ran for presidency in 2006. But in the meantime, uh, Laurent Desiree Kabila was assassinated. So mm -hmm. this is the issue that brings us to the situation of today. Uh, after the assassination of Laurent Desiree Kabila, my country- Wait, why, wait, 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 why was he assassinated? Well, uh, because um, he was considered now by his allies like a traitor, huh? because there were some kind of deals that they uh, concluded during uh, the period they were just uh, gaining the country uh, with this, all these different armies. And uh, it seems to their view that Laurent Desiree Kabila didn't respect the deal. 
So uh, it took them just a while to decide that now it should move, but they weren't alone, as you said. Uh, as I said, uh, you, you know, the Rwandese were not alone, and nor the Ugandese. Eh? They were also supported by uh, some Americans. And uh, okay, this is another chapter. But anyway, uh, they had the Western uh, support. So Laurent Desiré Kabila got assassinated. And uh, the one who took over was one, uh, you know, presented like his son, but in fact, it was not his son. And uh, I mean, the wicked situation of this uh, country be began at that moment, because we never had, after the assassination of Laurent Desiré Kabila, a head of state who is really looking for the interest of the people, always interest of the aggressors, yeah, Rwanda and Uganda. So this is the situation today. That's why I am very cautious when I tell you that I am a target, a possible target. Yes, because of course, I am uh, looking for stability of my country, not occupation of my country. So when you fight against that, you fight not only against Rwanda and Uganda, you fight all, also against those who support them. And uh, up to now, it's still a balance. It's still a balance. So one have to take, uh, to bear in mind that uh, it's not always a term of personal, uh, uh, you know, uh, interest. It's always a cause you defend, you bear in mind, and you also take risks for that. But there is an extent of risk beyond which you cannot go because anyway, you won't succeed. So it takes time to evaluate the situation and uh, to see when you can make a compromise and when you cannot. And uh, well, th th this is the definition of, polit of politics. Eh? Yes, it's yeah. not a matter of sudden. Uh, it takes time and you have to accept that it takes time because you don't change mentality all of the sudden and you don't uh, you know, uh, defeat agreements uh, like you want. It mm -hmm. takes people. Sometimes there's a coalition that change and you have to wait another coalition to come up and discuss again. Sometimes you have to go over and over again and start again. So uh, this is it today. So Justine, how many children do you have? I have four children. So do they live in fear that something is going to happen to you? No, they don't live in fear, but they know reality anyway. You see, just like I, I was just uh, experiencing, you know, some fear when uh, my father, ex you know, experienced the coup coup d'etat of Mobutu, I was wondering, is he going to be dead? Is he going to be killed, etc. cetera? Uh, so being a child of a politician is always a challenger because uh, anything can happen anytime. Yeah? And this is also, and our aggressors are particularly very violent. <laughs> but, um, Congo is still uh, a country worth fighting for. And I think that our people deserve our sacrifice, our mind is spirit of sacrifice. Because you don't uh, deliver a country, you don't uh, gain liberty without sacrifice. I think it's a uh, part of the game. Well, Justine, I hate to end again. Mm -hmm. This is a, a perfect, uh, ending that you have given us. 
I cannot believe an hour has gone by again. I think I could talk to you forever in a day. <laughs> I'm sitting here as the studious student sitting at your feet learning and I can understand how your son gets his wisdom. It comes from good 